0: Praise God. Welcome to everyone tonight, all of our guests. If you are a guest tonight, we are very glad to have you and thank you very much for being in service with us tonight. To those of you that may be watching us from somewhere else online, we welcome you as a part of this service tonight. Pray that you're blessed by what's taking place here. Praise God. Amen. I want to, if you remain standing for a moment, I want to continue tonight with what I started last week, and uh, I will read a couple of verses that I read. If you were here last Thursday night and you were here Sunday night, there were several things that Brother Morgan touched on Sunday night throughout his message that were uh, very, very closely connected to the things I shared last Thursday night. So I'm going to say again, because tonight I'm going to be more so getting right into a few things. Last week was more about the concept. This week is going to be more of the applications like we ended with um, last week. And so I'm just going to say in advance to all of you theologians and Bible scholars here tonight. I, I'm, I'm, not going to get, I'm not getting very deep. It's going to be very simple and for all of you apostolic theologians here tonight this is hopefully will be kind of old hat to you but as i said last week and i'll probably say it again here in a few moments i have just felt compelled in my spirit to just kind of state a few things remind us of a few things and the scriptures does tell us to stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance, and so we don't always need new revelatory things. Sometimes we need to go back. So I'm just telling you in advance, because I look across this audience tonight, and even even in preparing and studying for tonight, my mind is going through it, and I see lots of very seasoned saints here tonight, and so I, I'm just kind of getting it off my chest to tell you I I realize this is not a home Bible study with an evangelistic uh, somebody you're trying to reach. But again, I will read these verses. We, We have to contend. We have to hold to what defines us and identifies us. And so the verses we used last week as the foundation, and I'll just use them quickly to launch from here tonight. Jude, verse 1, there's only one chapter in Jude. Jude, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares. Somebody say unawares. That means we didn't realize they were there. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for another privilege, another opportunity and the privilege of being in your presence tonight. Thank you for your spirit that has been in this sanctuary tonight. That I believe, God, you have touched hearts and lives tonight. Perhaps in ways we are not even aware of. We have not discerned, but you have done it. And I thank you for that, Lord. I pray God now that you would continue to work in this place tonight and that you would now speak to us through your word, that your spirit would minister to us, that you would give us hearts and minds that are open to the, to your word, to the seed of your word to be planted in our lives once again, that it might produce in us and through us what you desire, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, God bless you. You may be seated. I want to just quickly read a couple of other translations again tonight, just giving you a little flavor of what these verses are saying. The Amplified, Beloved, my whole concern was to write unto you in regard to our common salvation. I, Again, he was basically saying, I, I was just going to sit down and write and share some things with you. But I found it necessary. Once I started to do that, I found it necessary and was impelled for... T- Impelled to write you and urgently appear to appeal to you, appeal to and exhort you to contend for the faith which was once for all. If you can't read that, join the club. I'm having problems reading that myself. (laughs) Probably should just turn around and look on the screen. I did, I hear you, hear you. I did buy my first set of reading glasses. It will be probably a while before you see me in them, but I do now have them. So, just to say, obviously I'm too proud still to wear them up here. So I'm fumbling around like I can't read. (laughs) For certain men have crept in stealthily. We weren't even there. Urgently appeal to and exhort you to contend for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. That doesn't mean once and, 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 and just never should be done again. But what he was saying was, what, it, what was given the first time is always good enough. Meaning we don't need to change it, tweak it, improve it. The faith which is that sum of Christian belief, which was delivered verbally to the holy people of God. For certain men have crept in stealthily, gaining entrance secretly by a side door, their doom was predicted long ago. Notice what he, notice what the Amplified says there. Their doom. He doesn't, he doesn't say they were predicted to do this. He said, forget that part. What you really need to know is the outcome of what they are trying to do is already determined. So we don't need to get all up in arms because there are some that creep in sometime unaware and want to try to get us to let go of or modify or edit what was once delivered. They've crept in stealthily, gaining entrance secretly by a side door. Their doom was predicted long ago, ungodly, impious, profane persons who pervert the grace, the spiritual blessing and favor of our God into lawlessness and wantonness and immorality and disown and deny our soul, master and Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. I think I can read the next one on here, I think. Message Bible. Dear friends, I've dropped everything to write you about the life of salvation that we have in common. I've dropped everything to write you about this. I have to write insisting, begging that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to you as a gift to guard and cherish I want to say something, a couple of things again that I said last week. Number one, I want you to make sure you're getting the context of who Jude is talking to. He's talking to saints and he's talking about contending amongst ourselves to hang on to what was once delivered. He's not teaching an evangelism and outreach class here. Hello. He's not instructing us how to go out and reach the world. Because we don't go out and reach the world by just contending for the faith, we go out and we share our testimony and we tell how good God is and how much God loves us and what God's done for us. But we don't go out intending to contend for. And that doesn't mean we don't share our faith, but we're not. He's not talking to what we're doing out there. He's talking about in here. So contend for what was delivered to you. What has been entrusted as a gift to guard and cherish. We amongst ourselves, not fighting humans per se, but standing for what has been given to us. What has happened is that some people have infiltrated our ranks. Our scriptures warned us this would happen who beneath their pious skin are shameless scoundrels. Their design is to replace the sheer grace of our God with sheer license, which means doing away with Jesus Christ, our one and only Master. You know what's really amazing to me about some of this modern religious idea of grace and and kind of the idea that grace is kind of permission to live however you want to live is if you read in the Scripture, I think it's in the book of James, again, I don't do great with the references, but I think it's the book of James, he talks about teaching us to deny ungodliness. and Who's the teacher there? The verse tells us that grace teaches us. That kind of this idea that grace is a license and permission to live however you want to live, Uh, somebody missed what grace teaches us to do. Because true grace does not teach me to live however I want to live because grace will make up for all my mess and mistakes. Grace, true grace, teaches me that I want to live the way He wants me to live. But there are those that have crept in amongst us and there are those that have written amongst us and broadcasted amongst us. That because of God's grace, we just, we just got freedom to live. No. So Jude is saying we must contend. And so, as I said last week, I believe there are some things and, 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 and I, at this point was what I feel and think I will go at least one more week along these lines perhaps, but, I'm sure I won't cover everything. I'm just trying to cover the primary points that I feel that God is impressing upon me to cover. And so there are some things that are, that are our apostolic identity. I'm afraid that most of the time when we say that, that term, our instant thought is external appearance. Our apostolic identity is not just our appearance. Our apostolic identity has to do with our doctrine. Those things that we believe and hold fast to. That if we give up those things, we lose our identity. And as was touched on Sunday night, we lose our power and anointing. So, I ended last week with the first thing, what I personally, just opinion, I guess, belief, the most foundational thing, and we find that in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and and we, we, most of the time, we put that now in the context of the Trinity, and that's that's one of our big go-to verses when it comes to the Trinity, and that's not what that verse was initially written about, had nothing to do with the Trinity. Again, I know I said it last week, but as Bishop always says, the essence of teaching is repetition, so let me repeat. God was speaking to a group of people, a nation of people who were surrounded by nations that that believed in multiple gods. And So he's telling them, there is only one God. I'm that God. And so what I do think this verse does apply as we use it, but that's not it. it's primary purpose And so let me just insert sometimes we feel a little bit intimidated because we are in the minority in the Christian world because we do not believe in the doctrine of the Trinity they were in the minority and in fact I think the minority they were in and the way they had to live it and face it was more challenging than what you and I have to face But addition to that, it's not just simply the fact that there's that that he is one, it's also the fact that he is the only one. I did not have these net last week and I will also say right now, especially the material I intend to get into here tonight, I have included some stuff that I will not cover, some extra verses and stuff, so that if you if you would like these notes for your own personal benefit, you can get into some of that stuff later. So I did add this, which kind of deals with last week, and so I just want to read it quickly and then we'll move on. But again, this idea, it's not just that, that, here O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and so, you know, for us, there, there, you know, this, we're, we're one God people. It's not just that, but he was also saying, there is no other God. Isaiah 44 and 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Deuteronomy 32 and 39, See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. You know, sometimes I think when we think of, you know, you can, we think of this the idea of opposites. If we think of the devil, what's the opposite of the devil? I think subconsciously, I know if I ask you that, a bunch of you would get it right. But I think subconsciously, we often think as the opposite of devil is God. And God is not the opposite of the devil. The opposite of the devil is angels. God has no opposite because God has no equal. You can't have an opposite when there is nothing else. There's only one God. The devil's not the opposite of God. He was created by God, so he's not the opposite of God. And I insert that just to remind you, God is bigger than the devil. Don't ever forget it. <laughs> Isaiah 43 and 10 Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant, whom I, am to whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I'm sorry, I'm, I, I really, genuinely out of and a sense of compassion i am sorry to tell you everybody is not on a different path to the same place there is there has been a movement in our world for a while now and it's only getting more intense that 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 religions religious leaders should all come together and and form coalitions and work together because we, we got different doctrines and concepts, but we're all going to the same place. It's not what the Word of God says. Don't get mad at me. That's not what the Word of God says. He said, I'm, I'm God and there is no other God. I'm the Savior. There is no other Savior. I'm the way. There is no other way. I'm the truth. There is no other truth. I am the life. There is no other life. Hallelujah. So I want to, uh, moving on, again, I'm contending here tonight, I'm reminding you, I pray, I I think some of you already have this, but I I, I really pray that some of you would get a revelation tonight. Some of you, it may be a first time revelation, others of you may be a, a renewed revelation that somehow... We 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 got it. We're, We're not here tonight as apostolics just because that's that's tradition. Neither are we here because somebody formed this cool little deal called apostolics. By the help and grace of God, what we do, what we teach, what we preach is founded upon what the Word says. That's the goal. Not on what history says, not on what religious history says, not on what tradition says, not on what the church world says, but what does the Word of God say. So it's important to understand that what, what we believe and teach and preach is not just a you know it's not just the apostolic formula versus another formula. So let's talk tonight about our apostolic identity with regards to the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1, Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Here's the gospel. You Ready? Which of you already know this, but here's the gospel. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, point number one, and that he was buried, point number two, and that he rose again the third day, point number three, according to the scriptures. That's what Paul says is the gospel. That's what Paul said is the gospel. That's the good news. You want to know the good news? Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again. There's no better news than that. Because without that, I am hopelessly lost. But because of that, I have hope. So when we talk about the gospel and what you got to do to be saved, it needs to match the death. The burial and the resurrection. That's our apostolic identity. So let's talk about that. I keep feeling the urge to apologize again for the simplicity of my teaching here tonight and I am resisting the urge to actually apologize and I'm just apologizing in a roundabout way. (laughs) To me, this is the gospel applied. In a nutshell, this is the gospel applied. If you have the Holy Ghost, and you do not have this verse memorized, before you go to bed tonight, you need to be able to quote this verse. If your children are old enough to start memorizing stuff before they go to bed tonight, they need to memorize this verse. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, that's all still point two, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Right there in one verse, we've got the death, we've got the burial, and we've got the resurrection. just use Acts 2.38 because it's the cool thing the Pentecostals and apostolics can use. We use it because it summarizes what the gospel is and how we participate and apply the gospel. Death is repentance. My identification with the death is through repentance and I want to remind us tonight the word repent. Repent is not simply to be sorry. There's a lot of people that are locked up in jail tonight that are sorry for what they did, primarily because they got caught. And some of them that will get out, will get out and end up doing the same thing again, because they did not repent. To repent, according to Thayer's, means to change one's mind. feel a meddling coming on for a moment when we as believers stumble and fall in our walk with God and claim we repent, we have not, according to this definition, truly repented until I have a change of mind. Meaning, when all I do is say I'm sorry but don't really intend to refrain from what I did and have not really made up my mind to go back and change the way I think about it. I have not repented, I've just apologized. I think we do a lot more apologizing in our praying than we do repenting. Strong says this, it is to think differently or afterwards. It's to reconsider to think differently afterwards If I truly repent there is not just a change of behavior Hallelujah There is a there should be a change of mind That's why when we explain to somebody that is the first time about to receive the Holy Ghost, we tell them this. you got to repent, but repenting is not just simply telling God you're sorry for what you've done. It's also a commitment to change and now do what He wants you to do. Listen to what the Amplified, the way the Amplified Bible says it. It gives this word, gives some good, good uh, clarity on this word, repent. And Peter answered them, Repent. Change your views and purpose to accept the will of God in your inner selves instead of rejecting it. Change your views and then purpose that you are going to accept the will of God in your inner selves instead of rejecting it. That's why you can come in on Sunday morning, come to the altar, weep and cry, Say you're sorry for what you did Saturday night that you shouldn't have done. And by the end of the week, you're doing the same thing again. You felt guilty. You were worried about getting punished by God. And so you told him you were sorry, hoping he'd hold off the punishment. How many kids, if you are of one of those households where you spank, how many of those kids, or households where families, your kid did something wrong and they knew what the punishment was and oh boy, they get, daddy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, daddy, daddy, I'm sorry, I'm I'm sorry. And they're even smart enough like us adults. I promise I'll never do it again, daddy. I won't ever do it again, I promise. Oh my goodness, I, I should have known better to know I wouldn't just simply breeze right through all this. Let me tell you something. Repentance, and I'm I'm talking to believer. I'm not talking. I'm not really. I'm meaning this in the context of of believers, of disciples. Repentance that is motivated by an attempt to avoid punishment usually does not produce change. I've heard I've heard sinners that have said they were facing certain situations near death, and they prayed, God, if you will get me out of this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And, and some of them have pretty much held up to that. But i got to tell you, I've also heard of a lot of Christians that were facing some situations, and their prayer was, God, if you'll get me out of this, I promise I'll change and never do this again. The majority of the time, if God does happen to get them out of it, they break that promise. Because again, there was no change of heart, no change of mind. So back to the gospel. Death, repentance is how we apply the death. Repentance is the automatic, should be the automatic response to the kingdom. Coming in our lives. Matthew 5, excuse me, 3 and 2, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First thing you do to encounter the kingdom, there's got to be some repentance. Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. I'm trying to be unkind here tonight, and I know we have a few guests, and I please. Would ask you to understand I'm not trying to be judgmental of the rest of the world. We're 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 trying to more so talk amongst ourselves here tonight and, and you're listening. There's a lot of people out there that want to tell you a plan of salvation that you have you hear nothing about repentance in that plan. If you're gonna get in the kingdom, if the kingdom's gonna get in you, there's gotta be death. That old man has got to die. Again, if you're interested some notes, there's some several more verses dealing with repentance. Repentance, according to 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. That means that the point of godly sorrow to produce repentance is to bring salvation. True repentance, the point of true repentance is not to bring guilt and condemnation to make you ashamed of yourself and feel bad and horrible. It's to bring you to repentance so that you can ultimately have salvation. Amplified says it this way, Godly grief and the pain God is permitted to direct produce a repentance that leads and contributes to salvation and deliverance from evil. And it never brings regret. But worldly grief, the hopeless sorrow that is characteristic of the pagan world, is deadly, breeding and ending in death. Message Bible, distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets and end up on deathbed of regret. It's amazing to watch, and you, many of you have had the chance to do it, and I've done it for years and years. I've watched people go through very similar circumstances in their own lives, and you watch one person, when they come out of it, their relationship with God is stronger and deeper than it was before. And then you watch other people, when they come out of it, they're bitter and they're angry and they're resentful. That's those who let distress drive them away from God. We have repentance. The second part, we have burial, which equals baptism. I know a bunch of you know it, but I remind you, the Greek word here for baptizo is to plunge, dip, or immerse. And all that's great, but the bottom line is, when you look at what baptism about is about, you don't just need that definition. It makes sense that if you're talking about being baptized with Christ... Identifying with Christ and His burial, you don't, you don't. I, I don't know. I don't like being in graveyards. Period. But I'm really not interested in being in graveyards where you walk around and the only thing on top of all the caskets is a little bit of dirt sprinkled. Do we need interpretation for the tongues? When you bury, you put all the way under because of what it signifies, what it represents. We don't just baptize by immersion because that's what we apostolics do to make us different. No, it's what we do because of what it's identifying us with, what it represents. Romans 6 and verse 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with Him, how? By baptism. Does that take any interpolation to get that? Do you need me to expound upon that to bring you to the knowledge that we are buried with Him by baptism? That just kind of says it, doesn't it? We are buried with Him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. Colossians 2 and 12, We are buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. Galatians three twenty seven. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, First Peter three twenty, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Interesting point there, isn't it? The thing, the thing that destroyed the world was the same thing that saved the eight. We say water destroyed the world, but also the Scripture says water saved the eight. guess it just depends on how you're applying the water. The like figure whereunto, even baptism, doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, baptism, again, is not just what we do as a neat little part of being an apostolic. It's based on our doctrine, which is, which is based upon the principles of the Word of God. And, and let me just pause for a moment. There, there is a pretty uh, more and more common terminology and, and concept of baptism taking place in in, in amongst Christians today and, and really to a degree amongst some that are somewhat similar to us and, and that is they, they they talk about baptism and, and baptism is a it's about a public identification with Christ. So they have special baptismal Sundays because that's that's a part of your baptism that's a part of your Outward identification with Christ. I, 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 I've studied it in the past. I've studied it again in preparation for tonight. I do not, I personally, and if you, if you know something different than that, help me out. I do not find any principle in scripture about baptism that makes the point of it about our public identification with Christ. I've just read to you what baptism is about. If baptism is about a public identification with Christ, the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip should have not, should not have stopped in the wilderness when they first saw water. And the, they should have waited till they got back to the city and could have had a group get around them so that they could watch him get baptized. It wasn't about that. It was about the fact that Philip told him what you needed to do to be saved. And they're riding in that chariot and there's some water. And he says, what hinders us from doing it right now? Brother Wright, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. I don't think so because when we start twisting the purpose of things, we start losing some of the power and the significance. And then we also reach a point... When we lose some of that, it also becomes common to say, you know what, it's really not even that big of a deal, so let's just stop it all together or not require it. Some of you have been blessed to be baptized in one of the clean, warm horse troughs at Antioch. Some of you have been blessed to be baptized in some of those that were freezing cold, and there was an inch of oil and film and dirt and grime floating on the top of it. I know, I know, I'm sorry, but it's the truth. I've baptized a few folks through the years, and I thought, oh God, give them temporary blindness. Please don't let them see what's in this tank. And I've heard people in the clean tank, and I've heard people in the dirty tank. Come up out of that water and when they're all done, clean or dirty water, I've heard them say, I feel so clean. I feel like a load has been lifted. It has been lifted because it was buried. That old man was buried and now you're rising as a new man in Christ Jesus. I, I don't want to embarrass my son. We, somebody, I forget where I was. It may have been Brother Morgan. Somebody recently, I was in a conversation somewhere and a preacher talked about how they've gotten home sometimes and their kids have told them. I didn't give you permission to tell that. So I, I'm trying to think about that, but it's just the, it's just the, it's just the, the, uh, um, it's just the lot in life if you're the PK. Timothy got baptized. He was five years old, I think. It's one thing to me for an adult to come out of the water and say that. It doesn't make sense to my natural man. I'm just telling you. I know all you spiritual folks out there all that makes sense. But it don't make sense to me even as the preacher for somebody to get out of that water and say I feel so clean. It was just but because of what happens I believe it. Timothy came up out of the water five years old and as he broke the plane of that water, tears started streaming down his face. He and I were walking downstairs and he said, Dad, what is it about that water? It's like magic it makes tears shoot out of your eyes. Five years old, he didn't have a big load to be lifted, didn't have a bunch of junk to watch off, but something still happened in the water of baptism. That's why if you need to be baptized here tonight, we'll baptize you and there's a window and we can all watch you get baptized. But if you're here tonight and you need to be baptized and you don't like crowds, come back tomorrow morning. Somebody, just one person will meet you at that tank and you and them will get, they'll baptize you. Nobody else will watch. And it'll be just as valid as if a whole crowd watched and it was put all over Facebook. Sorry, I'm sorry, but when we talk about it being our public identification with Christ, we really trivialize and reduce the significance and the importance of what it's all about. I'm gonna get in I'm gonna get in the flesh here for a moment. I'm gonna tell you that up front. We start they start making up baptismal t shirts for baptismal Sundays and making it out to be some just what I'm I'm sorry, that's not what it's all about. Death, repentance, burial, baptism. Thank God it doesn't end there. We identify with resurrection by the infilling of the Holy Ghost because that's us being born again as a new man. John chapter 5 and verse number 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Romans 6 and 4, we read this already, but let's read it in this context. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. I bury that old man, I, I put away that old man in repentance and I'm buried in baptism and then I am raised as a new creature. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I was in a conversation recently and, and, I, and I, I used this verse with someone and, 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 and something hit me in a, in a way like never before. And how many of you know what it's like to come into church and and, and feel condemnation about what you've done or or how many of you know what it's like you've made some pretty significant mistakes and you come into church and you feel like if whether it's true or not you feel like people are staring at you and watching you yeah uh-huh. a lot of you know that in one way or another most of the time everybody's not watching you but you just some of you that maybe even backslid for a little while and you came back and you just felt like everybody was watching you. And and, and, I, and I've, I've always used this verse, well, you know, you're a new creature and all this kind of stuff. But then, then I started thinking about the, the man that said that, the man that the Holy Ghost said that through. And, and i got to tell you, whatever it is you and I come into church struggling with that people may know, Excuse the grammar, but it ain't nothing like what Paul dealt with. (laughs) Because he would come into church and stand before a group of people to teach or preach that at some point in the not-too-distant past are people he would have killed. Who knows how many times he sat and talked and taught and preached to a group of people that had relatives in that group that he was responsible for their death. You want to talk about some stuff to deal with at church? And yet he said, if any man be in Christ, if any man is baptized into Christ, if any man... Puts on Christ. He is a new creature. To me, that's the only way Paul could stand there week after week, day after day, and preach and teach the people is because he believed that he had become a new creature in Christ. Do, do we really realize we got something the world doesn't have? No program can do. No education can do. No 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 organization can do. John fourteen six verse sixteen, and I will pray the Father. And He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but you know Him, because He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. The resurrection is, He's not just around me anymore, He's now in me. Ezekiel 36 verse 25 then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you an heart of flesh. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied of what was going to happen with that death burial and that resurrection. Here's the other thing that's so important to me, and another very significant thing about this is not only does repentance and baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost match what Paul said with the death, the burial, and the resurrection, but actually it goes way back before that to a pattern that God established with the children of Israel not too long after they came out of Egypt. Because you see the same thing in the tabernacle. It starts with an altar. Repentance. Then you go to the brazen laver. Water, washing, baptism. And it's not until you go by those two things that you can then get in the holy place where the presence of God is. And as most of you know, and some of you may not know, but just a reminder Tribes of Israel were to encamp around that tabernacle, that tent. But the tribe that was always positioned in front of it was the tribe of Judah, which is praise. Because the only way to ever get into his presence, you've got to start with some praise. That is the entryway into the tabernacle. But I want you to also just notice real quick, it's possible to be involved in praise and then never even get in. Praise was on the outside. As the entryway to the tabernacle. I, 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 don't, believe, I don't believe this is supposed to be hard. I don't believe all of this is supposed to be hard. I don't believe we're supposed to make it complex. I don't think we're supposed to make it exclusive. But I also don't believe we are supposed to just eliminate some very, very important, significant things that God established. I I haven't heard all of the depth of it, but I've, I've heard a time or two, I think now, of being in Baltimore that Brother Simpson has shared, taught, preached, In Baltimore or some about the altar and and we do have a tendency the last thing we normally do in a church service is a altar call but the first thing you had to go by when you came in the tabernacle was the altar I'm afraid we're living in a world that we like to skip over the altar and we like to skip over the brazen labor and we just want to get straight in the presence That's a dangerous thing to do, to try to get straight in the presence without going through the proper process to get in the presence. Yes, because of Calvary, all of us have an invitation to get in the presence of God, and it's not restricted and limited. But there are some principles we still should follow to get there. So that's another part of our identity, the gospel. And I want to touch on one more thing tonight. As I close, and it will only be just a few minutes, but death, burial, resurrection, resurrection, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And a part of our apostolic identity is we believe there is an evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We believe that in Scripture there is only one common evidence that a person received the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was not intended to be a one-time experience. That was intended to be the pattern from the beginning. Acts 10.44 While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, which believe, were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the way that the Holy, they knew the Holy Ghost was poured out is because people were shaking and bucking and jerking like we do. No. There was a reason why they knew the Holy Ghost was poured on them. For, because... They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Part of our apostolic identity is we do not believe that speaking in tongues is just an experience that is give or take. If you have it, great. If you don't, oh well. We believe. We believe that it is the evidence, the evidence... Not an evidence, not a evidence. It is the only identifiable, consistent evidence that we find in Scripture for the receiving of the Holy Ghost. I've been here since, I don't know, my mother just slipped out. She may not remember, my dad would, he's the memory one. I'm pretty sure my first apostolic service was probably within seven days of birth. I've seen it all. I've watched people when they got the Holy Ghost. You better not be around them. You better get away real quick. Because you were going to get punched, kicked, Something. Hands started flying, feet started going, heads started shaking. And then I've watched as others, without any real outward expression, have stood very calmly, very quietly, that you actually had to really try hard to hear as they stood there and spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. It's not about our shaking. It's not about our hooking and bucking. It's not about any of those things. You don't have to shake to get the Holy Ghost. You may not shake when you get the Holy Ghost. You don't have to jump. You don't have to dance. You don't have to run. You don't have to shout. You don't have to do any of those things. You may, you may not. My personal opinion is, God has a lot of respect for your personality. And that don't mean once he gets the hook in, he may not kind of override that at some point. But at the beginning, God is a gentleman. That's probably the reason why some, in the quietness of their home in their bedroom or living room, with nobody else around, can to receive Holy Ghost. Brother Kimbrell, am I not correct that in sitting in Germany in a living room with you on your mother's lap... But right, Sister Kimbrell received the Holy Ghost, began to speak in tongues. Most folks, it happens in a church service, but doesn't have to. The bottom line is, we believe. I had a individual that I've been close to through the years, I'm considered to be a good friend of mine, sat at a table some point in the last twenty five years who used to believe the same thing we believe, and told me they believe in speaking in tongues, believe it's real, but they no longer believe it is the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. I've come to contend tonight that the gospel of the apostolics is the death, burial, and resurrection. Repentance Water baptism in the name of Jesus. I I didn't even get into all that tonight. I I don't think I really have to get into the baptism in Jesus' name part. That's kind of a given, I think. (laughs) And the infilling of the Holy Ghost is the Gospel. And the evidence that that Spirit now dwells in you is speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Would you stand, please? say it one more time in closing. If you're interested in these notes, you're welcome to them. I intend to add two of them next week. If this is the direction the Lord continues to lead me, as you saw earlier, there are some verses in there that I provided simply for your own personal reference and did not take time to read and elaborate on some of this stuff even more. Father, thank you for this night. I want to thank you again, God, for your presence that we have experienced here tonight, the ministry of your spirit that has taken place. God, I pray now, as we close out this service tonight, that you would help us. God, not only are we living in a time in which our beliefs are challenged, criticized, scoffed at by the world, the non-religious world, and then even other religious people, other Christians. God, we also live in a time, as predicted by your word, that there would be those also among us, who would challenge us for what we believe and what has been delivered. But I pray tonight, I pray for the health of this body, for the health of this church, that you would help us, God, to remain true to what has been once delivered. Those things that have been given to us as our fundamental doctrines and foundation upon which we build, that we would not be tempted to try to tweak those things and edit them to suit ourselves, and that also... We would not be deceived by those that may have crept in unaware amongst us and now are challenging or may want to challenge and cause us to question. I pray that you would help us to remain solid, firm on the foundation of the principles of your word, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Give us the wisdom that we need, give us the discernment that we need, God, because of the traps that the enemy would like to set in our lives, that we would be aware that we would be able, God, to perceive and not be taken unaware, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, God, I pray, as we close tonight, that if it hasn't already happened, that you would give some revelation tonight, some fresh revelation, that this isn't, God, just about a church, it's not about just a religious organization, but it's about your word. And the unchanging eternal principles and truthfulness of your word, that your word is as alive and powerful today as it has ever been. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. In Jesus' name.